You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Happy Wednesday night. Welcome into the live show. Shout a football podcast covering your Buffalo Bills. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino, and we're so excited. We have so much to dive into tonight, and I can't think of a better guest than the one we have right here. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. Mr. Joe (laughs) Lascalia from The Athletic. My friend, how are you? I'm great, and I don't believe you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it, it's it's uh, good to kind of talk about kind of football things right. uh, the last week or so, even though they're not really football things, and it's still totally based around the global pandemic. But hey, you know, we'll take it what we can get right now, I guess. We were talking a bit about it before we went on here, and it's so weird after an offseason where we didn't have the owners' meetings. Uh, we pretty much cut things off. We didn't really have a real draft as we usually cover it down at the facility and so it's been so long since we've been a part of anything you know around the team and just just the chance of maybe going out to practice in the next couple weeks here is going to feel like a whole new dimension a whole new world that we're able to tap into i know i i'm i'm like i i can't wait because i i usually we we would have seen at least let's see six practices by now whether it be through the spring workouts and um, and then, you know, training camp would usually be a week, a week and a half old at this point. And so we haven't gotten anything and, you know, we'll just have to wait a couple more weeks, but once it gets there, I think the, uh, the fervor and the appetite for it will be huge. I know, especially from my perspective, it will be. So before we get into the, the good stuff here, a little housekeeping, uh, you're watching the live version of the shout football podcast and we would ask you to on all of your podcast platforms wherever you you get your podcast if you listen to the audio versions head over there now subscribe rate review and not only that while you're there look up the buffalo beat that's mr joe biscalia's podcast he does it with matthew fairburn uh they do a great job uh all throughout the season off season do the same for them we would really appreciate it but we want to get into what's going on with this team right now and i think you know, I tweeted it out this morning and, you know, Monster Media Day, the first Stefan Diggs 
uh, press conference uh, of his Bills tenure. Tredavious White, uh, the only All-Pro uh, for the Buffalo Bills last year, his first press conference. And the first thing out of his mouth was, I haven't decided yet if I'm opting in for 2020. Mm-hmm. So let's start there. And I'm going to get Ryan's take uh, after we get yours, Joe. What was your first impression when you heard that? Well, my first impression was, I'm glad other humans are taking it seriously mm-hmm. <laughs> more than anything. Uh, you know, it. I think everyone is allowed and encouraged to process things differently. And if they're not cool with being around 80 to 120 people, depending on what, what's going on on the field that day, uh, and they're not comfortable with it, then they should absolutely be allowed to do what is what they deem to be best for them and their family. So that's just from a humanistic perspective, which I think is the most important part here. But secondly, from a Bill's standpoint, it it is obviously, if he were to opt out, it would be a humongous loss. And there's, there's really no way around that. He's, he was there. He was my top graded player for them last year throughout all the film review. Um, He single-handedly changed the course of that week seven Miami game where it looked like the dolphins who were winless at the time were about to beat the bills until his interception uh, about five minutes to go in the third quarter. Uh, And there are just so many different examples of the way that he uses his body and zone coverage to, to be so good. But I will say, there are at least two silver linings I'll throw out there. The first of which is to get Levi Wallace more time on the field. If Tredavious White were to opt out, because I do think they believe in him and to see, and they want to see what he's able to do. And this will be one of the biggest years of his career. So that might be something to kind of hold your head on because I think he was a bit better than most fans would give him credit for last year. And secondly, the way that the, the salary cap will be constructed and how the contracts go. If he, if Tredavious White were to opt out, the final two years of his deal here would toll to 2021 and 2022. And why that's important is because he has a humongous jump from that from the second to last year to the final year. So rather than having that hit in 2021, where there's a, a massive decrease in cap space, the bills would basically be getting back around 7.2 million on next year's cap, which would be vital for them in the event that uh, the salary cap goes down as, as uh, much as some people are anticipating it. will. one of the things, you know, I saw floating around out there today uh, after this news uh, broke was that, you know, this would, if Tredavious white is not in the picture in 2020, I think it would really shine a light on the importance of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, even more so in this defense. Uh, so let's start with you, Ryan. Where, which, where do you see things kind of going in the secondary, let's say potentially without Tredavious White, and then we'll we'll go from there. Well, I think Joe said it well. I think it gives them a chance to evaluate Levi Wallace. It gives them a chance to see if Josh Norman hasn't lost that step, if he was just simply in a defense that didn't fit his uh, his talent or, or what he does well from last year in Washington. And, and then you have some younger guys that, you know, some question marks there. There's some free agent options available as well. Maybe nothing ideal in terms of what you're looking for. But, it, you know, if there's one thing I'll say, like you said, there's that safety duo. And if there's an, uh, maybe an underrated move now or a move that we might look back on and say, boy, that, that ended up being a great signing is Mario Addison. Because if you can get to the quarterback that much faster, well, then maybe your, your play on, on the back end in the secondary 
you won't have to be so perfect. You won't need a number one lockdown, shutdown cornerback. So if Addison, uh, a guy that's had nine sacks per season uh, or nine sacks on average over the last four years, can get after the quarterback, a healthy Jerry Hughes can get after the quarterback, all these new additions, maybe the secondary, especially the cornerback position, won't have to be as solid as they have been in the past. Now, you know, Joe, I know last week when you were talking about Starlatule opting out, you said that was like a five in terms of a impact scale. I, I think mm-hmm. all three of us would agree that White would be a 10 across the board. But if there's one thing that I think we all believe in is, is Sean McDermott is, is pretty good in terms of uh, finding ways to adapt when, when some key players are out or missing. Definitely. And yeah, but, I mean that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, no. Uh, all you, all you, Matty P. This is your <laughs> show. I'm just living in it. <laughs> Matty P. Wow, that's bringing you right in the inside of the Bills beat right there because that's uh, Joe's the only one who calls me that. Um, no, but I wanted to ask you a little bit going with Ryan's point there. One thing that a, you know a fan brought up was you know AJ Epinesa. He wanted you to talk a little bit about him tonight, and I think that that's a nice you know we could maybe hit that right now in this defensive line, which you know Ryan and I talked about it a few weeks ago. And we did we kind of power ranked all the position groups and we both had the defensive line as either the top position group or the second to top position group or the third. And, you know, there's so much depth there and there's so much more maybe potential to generate a consistent pass rush, you know, give us your thoughts on AJ Epinesa and how much you think that could impact, you know, things if Tredavious White's not in the mix. Yeah, I, I think Epinesa, they're still going to bring him along slowly. Uh, that's, that's just what McDermott likes to do outside of, a, the guy that we've been talking about, Tredavious White, and B, Tremaine Edmonds. Those are the only two exceptions to the rule. They were drafted. The Bills basically had no one at the positions they were drafted to. So it's like, okay, here you go. Have fun. But everybody <laughs> else, it's been a slow approach. And so I would anticipate that's the case with Epinesa. I know some people are anticipating them sliding him inside, and that could happen every once in a while. But I don't think they're going to try to overload him too early on in, into his career, especially not in a year where they have all but, what, two weeks of practices leading up to the season. Um, so I would anticipate he's going to be in that rotational role at the left defensive end spot, backing up Mario Addison right there, and then and then going from there. But, uh, but yeah, to Ryan's point, having the, the pass rush be solid and a bit better and, and having maybe even Ed Oliver create some more chaos from the interior, that will certainly help the secondary. But I also wonder if they might, switch up their philosophy just a little bit because even though the bills are one of the most predominantly zone coverage heavy teams in the NFL, um, they do run a a certain amount of man-to-man coverage and mostly because Tredavious white can flip between the two pretty seamlessly. Um, but now when you have your top two corners on paper right now, if Tredavious white does opt out, Josh Norman and Levi Wallace, those are a couple of guys who have a little bit, tighter of hips and they're not going to be able to flip and get down the field in a hurry. So I wonder if we might see more zone coverage, see more, uh, see more help from, uh, you know, you mentioned the safety duo, Micah Hyde over the top uh, and, uh, and, you know, helping those two cornerbacks, um, especially the linebackers too, who are really good in coverage for main Edmonds and, and Matt Milano. So there's, there's some different things that they can do. We might just see a more, a heavier emphasis that is on them just sending the the stock four guys uh, at, at the quarterback and then trying to figure things out uh, in zone coverage with the, the other seven. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the other piece of this with Trey, the news of Trey today is I wonder the kind of impact that could have on the locker room as everybody's kind of, you know, in the last, you know, few hours here, you know, wrestling with maybe potentially the same decisions for themselves. We heard from Stefan Diggs today who said that he's planning on playing. That's why he came to training camp. Whereas opposed to Tredavious White said he came to camp to kind of test out the waters to see, you know, how is this thing going to happen? And it's funny because, you know, one of the, one of the things that I saw a lot online too, is like the idea that, you know, Tredavious White might not want to play. And I think that that's a little bit of a misnomer that I want to, you know, maybe snuff out a little bit. I didn't get the sense today at all that Tredavious White would walk away from the season because he doesn't want to play football or be there for his teammates. You know, I think what he was talking about was the chance that he could contract this, this virus and bring it home to his family. That's a, that's a real concern. You mentioned at the top of the show, you know, these are human beings too. They're dealing with the same thing that we're all dealing with. And if you're giving the option, you know, to stay safe, I mean, I just think that the way that the NFL is doing this thing without a bubble, if you're uncomfortable with it, I think it's perfectly okay to make the decision to, to stay home. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, um, I didn't get that sense either from Tredavious White. It seems as though he was, you know, in between him talking about generational wealth, with I'm sure, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. But um, he was just echoing the virtues of family again and again, and that being the most important thing to him. And you know, that just from from my perspective, family is the most important thing to me. Uh, you know, it's not, I don't think many people are, are that different in that respect. So if he wants, if he feels uncomfortable and feels like it could put his family and his, um, within a year old, uh, child at risk, then by all means do what you believe is best. Um, the other part I think is kind of silly is the notion that this is some sort of power play for him to, you know, concoct a new extension. Um, right before the deadline of the opt-outs. I mean, that would be a completely elaborate plan. And Tredavious essentially would have been lying straight to our faces uh, and, you know, looking pretty, I guess, uh, <laughs> convincing in doing so. And and he he seemed like he was he was talking from the heart today. And so I, I'm not I'm not really anticipating that as a as a factor to what he was saying today either. Yeah, and the other thing I'll add is it's just a shame that the NFL has this opt-out date so soon, tomorrow, 4 p.m., because these players just hit the facilities this week. It's not like he's had a long time to really evaluate what the Bills are doing. He, he can get a good grasp of it in a few days, but I think that these players had a little bit more time to kind of really see how each team was doing it on a, on a team-by-team basis. You'd maybe see some players opt out more in certain situations, but this isn't necessarily giving some teams a chance to even show players what they're doing in terms of all the protocols. But shifting gears, the other part of, of the Trey White uh, talk today was the talk of a potential extension. Trey did not seem to be in any kind of hurry necessarily. He said that he's good financially. He did mention the generational wealth, though. Um, you, you know, in terms of what he said today, I do tend to believe him that he's not in a rush. He knows that when he gets that contract, he's going to reset the market. But it, when is probably the best time for White to try to get that deal? 
Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, as long as things go back to normal or at least somewhat kind of normal next year, then you know, there's a there's an undercurrent of people around the league that believe that the 2022 salary cap is going to surge, especially if it goes down to 175.9 million, the floor that they've set for these teams in 2021. And in 2022, that means there is going to be a lot of money available. So there will be market setting at each and every single position. So if Tredavious had a distinct motivation to play, heck, it would be that. Because if he plays this year, then that puts him right in line to be become a free agent after his fifth-year option in that 2022 offseason. So if he wants to secure that generational wealth that he's talking about, I'm sure he can he can kick the can down the road in, to, to go to 2023 if, if he if he really chose to. But when there's that type of opportunity where there's going to be so much money out there on the open market, conceivably, as long as everything goes back to normal, um, then that would be a pretty tempting thing for him, for him to stick this season out uh, in 2020. You had yourself a, a nice long vacation. And everybody was panicking. Where is Joe B? I think at some point somebody even started the hashtag uh, missing per- sent out a missing persons ad. How was oh your boy. vacation first and foremost? And did you feel the love? Because there was a lot of people that were that were worried about you, even though I don't think that that was your intention. Oh, it was not my intention at all. You know, truth be told, um, um, I, I, I took three weeks off and truth be told i just did not go on twitter mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. and i mean i would i would just look up updates random updates uh whenever i could just to stay in in tune with things from an nfl perspective but like i i just i just wanted some time to kind of like detox a little bit from the whole from the whole social media thing so i'm like okay we'll see how this goes and and actually what's what's interesting is i don't end up going to my phone immediately go to Twitter and start scrolling now after just those three weeks, which is kind of cool, but, but be it as it may, vacation was great. It was really relaxing. And, uh, now, but I'm completely rejuvenated and I am nerding out just trying to think about different ways to concoct the salary cap in 2020 and 2021. (laughs) And perfect, perfect segue because one of the first pieces you dropped on your uh, on your return uh, was a couple thoughts uh, about uh, everything going on this week, and and one of the the bullets was you know Matt Milano and Deion Dawkins, and that's something that I think all Bills fans are really starting to zero in on. Um, you set up that situation very well. Uh, One hundred seventy five million potential floor next year, uh, which could mean maybe a one year deal, a franchise tag, a transition tag for one of them. Why don't you explain mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, your thought process here? Well, I, the Bills are going to have to do some work here, and especially if Tre'Davious White does not opt out. I mean, that's still going to put them around. You know, it's it's going to be hazy now that Stephon Diggs has restructured his deal, and um, if they do indeed sign Brian Winters, but it they're going to be around like the twenty million in cap space after the the money that they would roll over from this year which is a good amount, especially when you consider that there's a drop-off in the uh, potential drop-off to the 175.9 million floor. But what it doesn't account for is the fact that you have two marquee free agents coming due that you drafted in, in Milano and Deion Dawkins. And if you go by the valuations from spottrack.com, who does a great job with, 
with those sorts of things. They've got Dawkins at 16 mil, Matt Milano at 13 mil. So that equals 29 million and you're still nine mil shy. And that's, that's even thinking that you wouldn't even have any sort of semblance of low to middle tier free agency in addition to that. So they have to be really cognizant of the decisions that they make starting this summer. Um, and you know, the, the marquee one for me is I think they have to release Trent Murphy. There's no way around it in my mind. I mean, it's, that's a 7.2 million potential rollover savings. It's just an albatross waiting to be picked. Um, and he would be a rotational defensive end. Use the roster spot on Daryl Johnson, save yourself the money and go from there. But in terms of Dawkins and Milano, uh, I think it's kind of interesting to look at it from the player perspective too. We just talked about Tredavious White and when he could potentially cash in in that and that 2022 surge, and maybe Dawkins and Milano might be looking at the same thing, where there might not be a ton of money uh, out there on the free agent market in 2021. So if I'm Dion Dawkins or if I'm Matt Milano and I'm their representatives, you can kind of push that to them be like hey there might be a lot of money around in, in 2022 so let's see if we can stick this out for one year stay in the same system and then see what happens so once once everything kind of goes back to normal at least we hope um so the the franchise tag Deion Dawkins should be firmly on the radar for that because if his valuation around 16 million is right and you know, last year, Arizona signed DJ Humphreys to a 15 million annual uh, average salary uh, at, as a left tackle. So if that's right, the offensive lineman franchise tag number from this past offseason was just over $14 million. So you'd be saving a little bit there. And you could couple that with maybe just a short term one year deal for Matt Milano to, to get him there. So that way you're not losing anything there. And then and then trying to make the decision and go with a long term pact after that. But it's it's very interesting to see how both sides will play this, both the teams and the players. You can't really dictate. Uh, you can't really just look at it from a team perspective because then you're like, OK, well, what do the players want? And that's just as as important as anything. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Joe. I, I know you can do franchise tags, transition tag, short term deals. But instead of Joe B, you're going to be Joe Bean here for a minute. If you had to sign just one of the two players, Dawkins or Milano, who would you sign and why? Um, wow. Only one. Uh, I would probably go with Dion, Dion Dawkins, just because – I really like Matt Milano. I think he's been a revelation at, as a weak side linebacker, and uh, you know that's that's one of those spots where where uh, you want to have someone with his type of skill set. And he definitely changed the complexion of the defense as soon as he entered the starting lineup. However, the easiness of replacement between a outside linebacker and a left tackle, there's just no comparison there to me. So if they had, uh, you know, if they absolutely had to choose one over the other, I would probably value Dawkins as long as he comes back and shows a similar type of game as he did last year. And the good thing for the Bills is they don't have to decide right now. But if Dawkins comes back and has the same type of year as he did last year, to me, he was the best lineman last year, one of the best players on the team. You lock up that spot. His feet are so quick for a left tackle. I mean, there, there are all these different assets to me and he's only 26 years old so he's got a ton of years on his prime left and if you snap him up on a you know 
eventually like a three, four year deal for 15, 16 million a year. That's that's a steal or it will be a steal um, as long as he continues along that track. So I, I, I would probably go with Deion Dawkins there as much as it hurts me to say, because I've lo- I've been a long time stan of Matt Milano being in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I like that conversation and I'd like to stay there, but I want to get into a lot of stuff tonight and I want to go back to Trent Murphy for a second because he's somebody that I've, I've waffled on over the course of, of the off season. And, and very recently, you know, before we really started to think about the, the, the immediate and, you know, even one to two year impacts of COVID on the salary cap, I was banging the table. Trent Murphy's making this roster just because I think you take, you know, his best performance from last year's season in Houston, and you extrapolate that and, and fast forward to 2020 and figure that you're probably going to get a pretty healthy version of him. And I think that he can, in that kind of, um, you know, maybe a tag team with Mario Addison, they could be a, a real force from a pass rushing perspective. But to your point, it does seem, you know, after reading your piece, hearing you talk about it, that rollover, seven million rollover, is going to be so important for all of these other things that they need to do. And you know, you go out there and you get a guy like Mario Addison, a guy like Quentin Jefferson, who you know didn't put up the gaudy gaudy totals, but his you know, if you go and look at Pro Football Reference and and their their pass win rate from last season, Jefferson was you know in the top ten in the league in that category. So you figure that he could do a little bit bit, bit of that in the exterior. Also have Daryl Johnson, who you mentioned back in the mix. Mike Love back in the mix. I'd like to see what he can do in training camp here. It, is it a situation where, you know, because of the depth there, you're 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 much more willing to to move on from a guy like Trent Murphy? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, let you know, Ryan just posed the question to me, so I'm going to pose the question to you guys. Would you rather have Trent Murphy as your rotational defensive end or Matt Milano next year and into the future? Boom. <laughs> I think that's a no it's, brainer. It, I think, yeah. it's, it's that simple. It's absolutely that simple to, at least in my mind. So if you're saving seven plus million to get rid of Trent Murphy and you get to keep Daryl Johnson on your team, who they still believe in his potential and you don't want to give up on that guy and, and throw him on waivers. It's just, it just makes all the logical sense in the world to me from a roster building perspective. And I know they like having a bunch of veterans. They like having experience, but they have so much experience on the defensive line. They are literally five, six players deep at defensive end in particular. And they even have a guy in Quentin Jefferson who can flip between defensive tackle and defensive end. So that way it, it helps you keep Daryl Johnson e- even that much more. So to me, it's just, uh, it, you know, keep him around for now just to make sure there's no positive tests, nothing insane happens, and there's there's not a, a rash of injuries that that end up costing you and, and you wish you would have had Trent Murphy in the long run. But if things stay the way that they are and they have those, those eight guys, that being Addison, Hughes, Epinesa, Jefferson, Daryl Johnson, Ed Oliver, uh, Harrison Phillips, and Vernon Butler, if you have those eight guys, you're like, okay, what do you need Trent Murphy for? For... 30% of snaps. No, keep the 7 million and, and try to resign both Dawkins and Milano. And a real intriguing piece of this too, is the addition of Eric Washington uh, as your mm-hmm. defensive line coach, who I think you might be able to even unlock even more potential in a Daryl, uh, Daryl Johnson, who he can come in here, work with him a little bit. I mean, Mario Addison for, 
for most accounts, I mean, this is a guy that came in very unheralded, turned himself into a real pass rusher, a real successful defensive end in this league. You, you like what they're doing on the coaching staff, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And to your point, I think watching what th that can maybe do for Daryl Johnson, because, you know, if you keep Trent Murphy on this roster, it's you're going to have a tough time keeping Daryl Williams too, or Daryl Johnson too, because there's so many other positions, especially like in the, in the secondary, they like to usually keep numbers there. The offensive line, they kept 10 almost, you know, throughout last season. Uh, so a lot of decisions to make there, but speaking of the offensive line, let's, let's get to that because uh, we talked we had a, a little bit of an emergency pod on Monday when the news broke that the bills had signed um, Brian Winters from the jets, another uh, New York jets cast off brought in uh, before the season. Um, the bills released Spencer long. Uh, to your point, clear up some more cap space. And also because of the COVID rules, you have to release a player before you even bring in a potential free agent for even a visit. Uh, so that roster spot now is open for the bills to start uh, working on a deal with Brian Winters, but let's start there. Is this a situation you, you watch some film on Brian Winters? Is this a situation where he walks in with Feliciano out of the mix as your day one starter, or does he have to earn that job in those two weeks of training camp? No, nah, he's day one for me um, because you look at what he can do uh, as long as the, the shoulder checks out. Uh, I mean, his his foot quickness, really good for an offensive lineman, great athleticism. You know, he looks to he looks to initiate the contact. He's physical. He's tough. He, he, he likes to get guys to the ground and and finish his blocks. It's everything that Bobby Johnson and Brian Dable want out of their offensive lineman. Now, there are some times where he gets beat especially in, in pass coverage because he, he leans or gets overpowered a little bit, but he still he usually has a pretty good anchor to, uh, de to deal with those type of bull rushes from those people. So it, it, I think this is a guy that, that slots right in. And, you know, I, I know Feliciano put on his Instagram, see you guys in Vegas, which would mean he's back by week four. You know, he's probably being a bit hopeful there, but you, know, you don't want to, you don't want to say, uh, hey, he's not going to do it, but you just never know with injuries and, and rehab processes. But I will say Winters is intriguing enough to me to think about the possibility of maybe down the line, if Quentin Spain starts struggling, maybe Winters goes at right guard and Feliciano at left guard because Winters and Feliciano are are best suited, the best suited guards for the type of offense that the Bills are trying to run. They have their guards pulling constantly they have them getting out in space in front of running backs constantly on screens i know dable is a big screen guy hasn't really been able to get it established but i, I would anticipate he's going to try to more this year especially with devin singletary uh it, those are two guys that are able to get to the spot and put a hat on a guy quentin spain for as solid as he is a run blocker just doesn't have that type of skill set and maybe because he he looks good and and did the did the whole uh, workout program everything like that uh, and seems like he he really took the offseason seriously maybe he's a little bit quicker but i even if he's a little bit quicker i don't think he's as quick as either feliciano or, Win or winter so that's at least something to keep an eye on especially when uh, feliciano gets back so if winters comes in right out of the gate with with the, the lack of time here before the regular season he plays well and Feliciano eventually comes back and is ready to go. Do they hand the job back to Feliciano based on what he did last year? Or do you keep going with the guy that's performing well? 
See, I kind of wonder if maybe they would just throw Feliciano on on IR uh, just at the beginning of the season, just to give him like say, hey, don't rush it. We're good here. Let's get you back fully healthy, and also giving giving themselves an extra roster spot. That kind of went through my mind, but you know, I I I, I do know that they love Feliciano and everything that he brings to the table. So maybe that that wouldn't be something. It's all about how he's trending by the time. I don't even know the date at this point. It's, I don't even know what day it is for that matter. Um, it, what, uh, <laughs> what, uh, what he's, what his rehab is looking like at that point in time. But um, that at least I, I, if he's not on IR, I would think they would probably give it back to Feliciano. And then if things aren't going well with the offensive line, because there's going to be a lot more pressure on the offensive line this year than there was last year. That's for sure. Because they actually established a base of what they could do. Whereas 2018 was just kind of a nightmare. Um, but yes, I, th- I think Feliciano would probably get the, uh, the right to the job back when, when he gets healthy. We spent so much time over the last year um, discussing Cody Ford's place on this team and place in this league too. And what's funny is I go back to right on draft night when Brandon Bean talked about drafting Cody Ford and where they envisioned him long term. And he said right tackle then and there. And, you know, we've seen him, you know, in training camp and preseason take some reps at, at guard. But, you know, obviously this was a very large statement that they are still confident for at least another year, letting Cody Ford go out there and work his way to maybe becoming their right tackle of the future. How do you envision that whole thing going and in the potential swing tackle situation? Because, you know, going into last year, they had Ty Inseki and Adrian Waddle before he got hurt that probably both could have been on the roster. Now it's Daryl Williams who can, who was a second team all pro as a right tackle, but played a lot of guard last year too. How do you feel like that whole rotation could happen? Who's going to be the backups and will it be a rotation? Will Cody Ford end up being, you know, there, you know, all snaps of the game, right tackle this season throughout the year. I mean, for me, if you have a second year player who is, who was a second round pick and you have gone out of your way to commit to him playing a certain position in this case, it would be right tackle. You would be doing yourself a disservice to not give him full snaps at, at right tackle. I mean, just, just based on trying to find out about the guy, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then slide him inside. But enough of this halftime stuff where you have Ty Seki coming in for, for two series and then Cody Ford for three. It's just, it doesn't help Ford. He needs to get in the flow of a game. You need to find out full term who this guy is, where he's best, because after this year, you only have two years left on his rookie deal. And two years is about a, as much time as you need to try and salvage salvage him if you're moving him inside to guard. So to me, it would be a mistake to do anything else but put him at right tackle with all of the different moves that they've made this year and have Ty Inseki be that swing tackle who can play both left and right tackle. Daryl Williams, to me, I still think he's on the roster bubble. Not convinced he's going to make the team. Didn't look impressive to me in Carolina last year. Looked slow-footed. It looked like he got overpowered at times. Looked like he was unbalanced. You know, to me, it's just he need he needs to prove a lot. I, I I would think he's on the roster bubble along with guys like Ike Butker and Evan Bame and 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 those type of names, especially with the addition of Brian Winters here. But you know, be it as it may, Cody Ford needs to be a right tackle, full time, full stop, 
has to happen. What do we think about this, Brian? What do we think about this? Did you see this here? I've been told I look like a poor man's Lee Smith, which I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. (laughs) I've definitely never had Feliciano. I don't have the hair to. It must really be the fa- it must off. be the facial hair. I don't know. It, it must be. Yeah. <laughs> you sure you don't have like a back pony back there, like Felicia? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking on the offensive line, following Spencer Long's release, th- there's some questions now on who will be the backup center for the Bills. And I know backup center is probably not a huge discussion am- among the Bills mafia, but the Bills have a lot of players that have position versatility. So, in, in your mind, who would be the next man up to be that backup center? You know what was interesting last year about Spencer Long? They billed him as this guard slash center, played center with the Jets. He didn't play center for them at all. Feliciano replaced Mm -hmm. him as the backup center like that. All it took was one training camp. So he was a guard only for them. So that versatility, I think, was a little misconstrued, at least in their eyes. Um, But in terms of who could replace Feliciano as the backup center for those few weeks that he's not available, uh, I would look to a couple of guys. Evan Bame, who has a sneaky, solid shot. He's still on the bubble, but he's got he's got a good look at it. Uh, and Ike Butker, who everyone just kind of forgets about, but they've kept him around for years now. And uh, he's got some center and guard versatility. Uh, I, I wonder if – and he's also – Butker is one of those guys that uh, Brandon Bean brought up uh, in that little cluster of, of players once the Feliciano injury came down. Uh, where he mentioned, you know, we we're gonna we're gonna try some things out. I think he mentioned Bame, Long, Butker, and Seki threw Cody Ford in the mix, even though he probably didn't mean it. Um, <laughs> all of all of these different things. So I, I would look at those two guys um, above all else. And if and if they're not working out, then I don't think they should be ashamed to go out and try and uh, find a, another offensive lineman somewhere. Little nugget about Butker. Um, and yeah, you, you always wonder about these kinds of things when we, we're in the uh facility in the um the field house after after practice. But one thing I noticed all last year was Butker attached at the hip to Mitch Morse. And mm-hmm. you know, every every day after practice, you'd see him kind of pull Mitch off to the side and just work on snaps, work on uh, movements work on reactions and you know those kind of little things like you mentioned I think those stand out to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and that's what probably keeps him around they love that so I think that's a great point to bring him yeah. up because he'll remain in the mix a nugget to add to your nugget he mm. actually has a, a prior relationship with Mitch Morse because back when the Bills originally cut him a couple of years ago he got scooped up by Kansas City and so he mm. he stayed there for like a good week and a half. So they probably met, got to know each other a little bit, and he he probably stuck to him a little bit when when he when he had that one week in Kansas City. Eventually released, the Bills brought him back. I think they claimed him on waivers, and he's been with Buffalo ever since. So, uh, but yeah, there there has there was a little rapport there, and and yeah, there you go. And it's it's they they like that sort of thing. They they like to see those young offensive linemen try to get it from the people that that. Uh, that have been there and, and that do take all the snaps for them. So yeah, they, they, they're somewhat hopeful for Butker. Everybody's been so patient in here. A lot of questions, a lot of activity in the comments. We appreciate you guys. Uh, I want to close out the show with Stefan Diggs tonight, but before we do that, we'll take a couple of these. And this is a good one here because I think that, you know, Steven Hauschka has been one of the, uh, you know, lightning rod topics uh, of the offseason ever since the Bills drafted Tyler Bass. So chime in here, Joe, first, and then Ryan and I can can kind of follow up. Matt Barkley and Housh Money, do they make the roster? I think Barkley is good. Um, 
I don't think that they're going to trust a fifth round rookie to be their primary backup again with only two weeks of practice leading up to the season and zero preseason games. He's good. The, uh, the potential rollover savings for Barkley is like just a shade over a million dollars. So not really worth it, especially when you think about what could happen if you don't have Barkley on the team. So I think he's probably good, but the Hauschka conversation is different. You know, all off season before the talk about the salary cap reduction came down, I honestly thought it would just be a straight up kicking competition tie, probably going to the rookie. Now I'm rethinking that a little bit, just because when you look at what Hauschka could save them, I mean, if he wins the job, he wins the job and, and they won't cry about it. But if, if he doesn't win the job completely and without a shadow of a doubt, then you're looking at, if you cut him, you're saving a little over a million dollars on this year's cap to roll over. And then an additional, I believe, three-ish million dollars that come off next year's cap as well. So all of these different factors, you have to think, okay, well, this is, it would be pretty enticing to do that, especially if they have to try and find spots to save money. And if one of the spots is a kicker, which have an impact on what, eight, nine plays a game, um, sometimes big ones, but some games there, they don't really do anything except kick, kick the ball off. So to me, I would rather have Vernon Butler on my team next year rather than save the whatchamacallit, the $6 million it, it would be to cut him rather than a Stephen Hauschka next year um, because you just thought it was a, a tie and, and you trust him a little bit more just because he's a veteran. Go with the, the rookie kicker, and if it, it blows up in your face, then then it does. But um, I, I, th- I think they have to think about more than just 2020 in 2020. Yeah, completely agree on the Barkley conversation. There's no real competition for that number two job. And I've kind of said from the get-go that I thought Bass had the inside track to the job. You don't spend – I know it was a day three pick, but you don't spend a, a pick on a, a kicker, and in a lot of people's eyes, the number one kicker in this draft, if you're not going to give him a legitimate shot to win that job. And as good and as solid as Hauschka was down the stretch last year, there's some concerns about kickoffs. But obviously, the 50-plus the yard field goals – and that could definitely come into play this season. And, you know, Bass has the leg for those kicks. Is he going to be dependable? Who knows? He's a rookie kicker. We've seen it go both ways where, you know, some of these guys come in and just like they come right in and it's it's no big deal. Some of these other players or kickers have fallen apart that have had these high, these great pedigrees. So you never know until you really get them out there in live action. But like you said, if it's even – if Hauschka leaves the, the, the door open even slightly, I'm going with mm-hmm. Bass in, in that scenario. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and just to be accurate on my numbers, um, the Bills would be saving about $1.1 million to roll over to next year's cap. And then next year, they'd be saving almost $3.2 million, uh, on on next year's cap, which combine that with Trent Murphy, that's $10 million, which is also basically the the whole way you need to get to to get a new Matt Milano deal done. So Stephen Hauschka and Trent Murphy or Matt Milano next year. These You have to weigh all of these things. For sure, for sure. Um, I saw another, com- uh, another um, question in here. Oh, wow, we're going. 
we're we're fast forwarding. I don't know if we even have time for that. No, we're, 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 I love it. You oh, you're gonna hit it. See, <laughs> I'm a maniac. Truth to hearts, <laughs> you are uh, a man after Joe B's heart. He will answer your question. Do you tag Josh and Paige Remain or vice versa? Go. Well, this is this is a three year down the line conversation because both those guys are going to get their fifth year option. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think, unless Josh Allen just completely uh, regresses this season, but I would probably say you would you would tag Josh Allen if you had to, just because the the economic side of things with linebackers, and this is this applies to Matt Milano as well the linebacker franchise tags get inflated because of three, four outside linebackers that rush the passer because they are technically put in as linebackers rather than defensive ends, which is kind of insane. There should just be an edge rusher, edge rusher designation. So that way guys that rush the passer off the edge uh, would all clump together and the rest of the linebackers aren't along those lines. But since it's not that way and it's not going to be that way in the current collective bargaining agreement, then I would say tag Josh, work out a a long term deal with Tremaine Edmonds if both guys deserve it, and then uh, and then work your way into a long term deal with Josh after that. I like that. I like that thinking. I also I really like the conversation. We're we're we'll get more into it as the season begins, but like just of what this season is going to look like for Josh, because. You know, there's so many other examples just from his draft class alone. Take out Lamar Jackson, who's now in another class of player. But, you know, with Baker going into this year and the talent around him, Darnold going in with the lack of talent around him, um, I really think, you know, and I think you did a piece on it earlier this offseason where you kind of really dove into the tape of Diggs and what he brings to this offense. Mm-hmm. You know, He's that other element where I feel like you've now stripped away all the excuses that weren't going to be there anyway, because Josh in year three in the same system with the same coach with a lot of the same pieces around him now in year three, you know, this thing should look like an NFL caliber offense and, and, and at least at the very least a top 15 offense does it on week one against the New York Jets. (laughs) <laughs> is it a top 15 offense on yes. week one? Wow. Yeah. You're, you're really putting me to it here. Um, <laughs> making me look into the future. Uh, I think, I think Diggs is going to help. If, if he doesn't help then that's on Josh more than anybody. Uh, because if there's one thing I know to be true, it's Stefan Diggs gaining a lot of separation from his defender. And he, he is incredibly fun to watch on film. Like I'm a, I'm a wide receiver snob. <laughs> and watching watching him run routes is like, why doesn't everyone do it that way? I mean, the way he sets players up, the way he reads the defender's body. Uh, the only I, time I, I've seen you more fired up than when you're talking <laughs> about receivers is when you're talking about Harry Potter. But I got my Slytherin mug right here. There we go. <laughs> my man. <laughs> on brand, on brand. But yeah, I mean, I remember this one play in particular, and with that film study piece that I was ta- that you were talking about that I did. Remember one play? I think he was going up against Atlanta's Desmond Trufant. He ran a five yard comeback route. Somehow, he in the the amount of time it took him to do a, a five yard comeback route, he made Desmond Trufant completely turn around, stumble, and gain three yards of separation on like a quick hitting pass from Kirk Cousins. It was 
obscene. And I'm just like, what? How did how did he get him to do that? This is a good cornerback in the NFL, a good young cornerback. I just don't understand what what he did to him. But when you watch how he just absolutely hammers into his breakdowns, it's like, all right, this is a guy that is going to continuously get separation. It's not something that is gained with speed or anything like that. So he transitions to the later stages of his career well as well. So and he he absolutely crushes it in the intermediate areas, which is where Josh Allen advanced himself from an accuracy standpoint last year. So uh, if if he doesn't, if Allen and the offense and the passing offense doesn't get it going, that's on Josh Allen. It's it's not going to be on Stephon Diggs. It's not going to be on John Brown. It's not going to be on Cole Beasley. It's it's going to be all on Josh. So this is, I mean, very much a, a an understated uh, thing. Like you can't say this enough. Under exaggerate under exaggeratory but <laughs> has to be a big year for josh he has to take steps forward with a with a better cast around him if you are a part of the late night crowd welcome into the second half of this episode uh he is joe Biscalia, bottom right from the athletic the bills beat podcast buffalo beat podcast sorry old habits die hard it's cool i'm still getting used to it Uh, my co-host on the bottom left there, Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino, and we are going to close things out tonight talking a little bit more about Stefan Diggs because he had his introductory press conference today, four months after the bills traded for him. Uh, it it was a a bit worth the wait. Uh, we got about 20 minutes with him today and I want to kind of go around the horn here and, and just some of our takeaways, uh, from Stefan Diggs's first press conference. Um, what was your, your main takeaway? Let's start there, Joe. My main takeaway, just from him as a, a, a personality, is he's very intense. And that's something that we've always heard about him, but we obviously haven't been able to talk with him. I also really appreciate how he actually listens to the questions mm-hmm. and like dissects them and wants to know exactly uh, why you're asking certain things. And uh, that, that all kind of shown through. And, and that's that, to me, shows intelligence and shows thoughtfulness and self-awareness, all of these different things. So uh, those were the two things that stuck out to me. I mean, I already know the guy's a good football player. I just want to know how he's going to fit into this locker room. And it seems like as long as, um, you know, they are competitive, keep it going, give him chances to put the ball in his hands, everything's going to be copacetic. But, you know, who's to say what what's actually going to happen in 2020 and then beyond. And and he's certainly happy right now, seeing as how his brand of being just kind of uh, got him a little bit more money for the upcoming season, according to Mike Garofalo. Mm, mm, indeed. Yeah, he, go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. He definitely said all the right things today. He talked about how he's still learning about Sean McDermott, but all the players would run through a wall for him. And, and he's saying everything about, you know, at the end of the day, Wins are what matters. There's other weapons on this team, including calling Dawson Knox Mr. Stiff Arm, which was probably the best little uh, sound clip that he, he gave us today. He, he's doing everything right right now. Obviously, like, like Joe said, it, it's going to come down to what actually happens this season in terms of if he becomes discontent, just like any player could if things don't uh, go as, as planned. But, you know, for, for waiting this long, I think he said all the right things in his first press conference with uh, the Buffalo media. Listen, it's very early on in the process here. And this is something that, you know, a lot of players say a lot of things. I mean, we spent a couple of years, Joe, longer than I did, Ryan, longer than I did, covering LaShawn McCoy, who, you know, 
one day could say something and the next day it could be a completely different vibe going on. And I think all things are rosy right now because there's nothing to really uh, be upset about. I mean, he is going to be the featured guy in this offense. I mean, they, you don't go out there and get a number one receiver and and not give him, you know, targets. I mean, Duke Williams with John Brown and Cole Beasley on this roster against Houston last year, Duke Williams still got 10 targets. So he's going to get the ball. I think he knows he's going to get the ball. Um, one of my big takeaways from today was, you know, all of his tweets over the last year, you know, that got him into some hot water in Minnesota in terms of, you know, the, the, the interactions with the media and, you know, some of the things that led to him saying it's time for a new beginning the day that he got traded, you know, he, he had a lot of ambiguous tweets. I mean, he, he was right today. He came out and said, I never really said anything about uh, what I didn't like, you know, that's true to a certain degree, but you, you had a certain uh, aura about him. But what struck me today on the call, and this again was just a call and it was just an interview was it seems like he's approaching this from a very humble perspective said that he's he's he feels like a rookie again he wants to be there to can i be another uh weapon another ear for josh allen talking about you know fitting into an offense and a lot of people on this offense can make plays so i think that that it bleeds into what this this team's all about anyway and the culture that's been kind of established but also i think that Coming in day one, even with Brown and Beasley in the mix, to you, Joe, I mean, he's going to be the guy in this offense, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I still think that Brian Dable is going to push the the running game quite a bit this year. So I don't I don't know if it's they're going to absolutely go spread offense, you know, 11 personnel every single every single game like they did in the month of November last year. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he wants to establish Devin Singletary, um, have Zach Moss as a complementary option, and establish the running game from from that perspective because they have the offensive line, at least in their mind, to do it. But when the ball is in the air, Josh Allen should be looking Stephon Diggs' way. And he's too good of a receiver to not do these things. I mean, if if your quarterback struggles with throwing with anticipation, what do you do? You get a wide receiver that can separate maybe on par with any of the top ones in the league, and that's Diggs. And we know Allen does struggle throwing with anticipation from time to time. So if he's only throwing his guys when they're op- – throwing to his guys when they're open, Diggs is going to be open a lot. So look his way, figure it out. And then, uh, and then when opposing teams give Diggs a lot of attention, that's when you find Brown, Beasley, Dawson Knox, and he should find Dawson Knox more this year because Dawson Knox, I think, has a lot of potential. Thanks for the shout out. Uh, this is my I stole my son's cup. Uh, somebody noticed that as I'm drinking my water. Um, we got Star Wars versus Harry Potter here. I love uh, it on the, on the cups. I I think yeah, I think uh, we got our, all of our, our our bases covered. I'm gonna give a quick shout out to my guy. This is this is kind of a tricky one to end the show on, but we'll talk a little bit about it because I think it's timely. And uh, my guy Chris Williams, who runs the Bills Mafia uh, account over on Facebook, uh, always uh, participates and very engaging. And he said, "Why do you think Bills fans get upset?" Uh, triggered over over players opting out. These players aren't robots. Why be mad because a player cares more about his health and family over playing football? And you know, I think that that's pretty well said. I mean, you know, when I first started thinking about Trey White 
potentially opting out. Um, the things that kept ringing over and over in my head weren't anything about football, but were about his 11 month old son uh, that he was talking about and the potential of going home and bringing uh, the virus. If you were to contract it from the facility, I mean, that's something as a parent I could say right now. And Ryan, I know you're a parent and Joe, uh, you got little Fritz over there. I mean, you, you know, that's something that goes through your mind. I mean, it, it, it's something that, you know, I, I can understand. Yeah, me too. I mean, my, my first thought when I heard Starla Tulele, um, EJ Gaines, and then today Tredavious White contemplating it, it's not, it, it wasn't initially like, Oh, what is what does this mean? What are the bills going to do? It's good. I'm glad he's taking it seriously. I'm glad he's giving it thought because everyone should be having these conversations with their loved ones if if they're going back to work and doing all of these these different things. I mean, there's some situations where uh, where you don't have a choice and and you have to go back. But with the NFL, it's it's constructed differently, so it's good that they're having these these conversations, that they're having these thoughts, that they're really thinking things through because you don't want to make just a rash decision because you think, oh, you know what? Everything's been building up to this year in 2020. And some guys think that way, that's fine if that's what's most important to them, but that's not what's the most important thing to everybody. So I, 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 I am very glad that he's taking it seriously and that he's giving it this much thought. And if he ends up opting out, then, then he does. And the bills are just gonna have to figure it out. But you know, I, I don't think I don't think anyone should be looking at him in a bad light because he chose what was what he felt was best for him and his family. If they gave the option for a reason, just if he if he takes them up on it, then he is allowed to do that. And honestly, good for him. Yeah, 100 percent. Family first. And in terms of why some Bills fans w- would be upset, it's kind of just what Joe said about some of these players. There's high expectations this year. For the first time in a long time, the Bills are probably the favorite to win the division. It's it's probably the first year where you can say they could actually make a, a run in the playoffs. So that's probably why some fans react the way that they are, uh, the way that they do if they become very upset. But it's not the right reaction. It's not the reaction they should be having because at the end of the day, these are people. They're not robots, as Chris said. They have families to think about. They have young children to think about. So y- you can't hold that against any players if that is the decision that they end up making. All right, almost an hour with our good friend Joe Biscalia. Before we get out of here, my friend, why don't you let everybody know what, what what's popping over the athletic? And I'm pretty sure we can get in right now for a little bit of a discount, correct? Yeah. Um, so if you go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat, we're running 40% off the yearly subscription. Uh, that's theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat. Um, and right now over at the athletic, I mean, we I'm sure the same with you guys. It, it's all wall-to-wall Tredavious White today. But uh, uh, I, I took a look at like what it means from a roster perspective, salary cap perspective, everything along those lines. That's that's a long form over the at the athletic right now, as well as that uh, a little bit of that Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins conversation we were having about. So uh, so that's over there. And of course, we've got the podcast rolling every single week and uh, trying to figure out and Matthew Fairburn's trying to figure out a way to work in Blaine Gabbard every single week. Mm. Still, after all of these years, the grind never stops. It's unrelenting. It's unrelenting, my friend. Well, we got one half of the dynamic duo from the Buffalo Beat. We're going to hopefully have Matthew Fairburn in here uh, over the next couple weeks if I can uh, convince him. The PFWA president 
now. I'm gonna. I told them I'm gonna start calling him Prez. So when I have when we have him on the show, I'm gonna only refer to him as Prez. President Fairburn. It yes, seems very regal. <laughs> Fits him perfectly. All right. <laughs> For Joe Biscalia, Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. Head over to any podcast application where you get your podcast. Shout, Buffalo Beat, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate you. We love bringing you guys all this Buffalo Bills content. Have a happy Wednesday night, and we will see you tomorrow for, I'm sure, a couple more fun press conferences. All right, guys, have a great night. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys.